We're turning this morning to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. If you have your Bible, turn to the place appointed for reading. For those at home watching online, the words will also come up on the screen. But as I've said before, we do encourage you to get your own copy of the Bible and see the words in the page. Remember, we're reading God's infallible and God's inerrant word. We're dispensing today with our studies in Colossians because it's Easter Sunday and we're going to be thinking today about the theme of the resurrection. Luke 24, verse 1. Let's hear the words of the Lord. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre. Stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in itself at what? At that which was come to pass. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And I want us to think of the words there that are found in verse 5 right through to verse 8. The word of God reads as follows, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now my theme today, this Easter Sunday, is remembering the words of Christ regarding his resurrection. You see, these words were uttered by the two angels inside the empty tomb on the very first resurrection morning. The Bible tells us that certain women which had followed Jesus from Galilee upon the first day of the week, that's very early in the morning, they had prepared certain spices to anoint the body of Jesus. 
This was the day after the Jewish Sabbath. And they're in a state of shock. They're in a state of shock because of the um, death of Christ, a state of disbelief. And that morning they were in for another shock because on their way to the sepulcher, they asked that question among themselves, who rolled the stone away from the tomb? And they arrived and the stone was already rolled away from the sepulcher. The Bible tells us that they entered into the tomb. However, instead of finding the body of Jesus carefully wrapped for burial as the custom of the Jews, they found nothing but the linen cloth. There was nothing in this new tomb. There was nothing to uh, prove that he was still dead. Suddenly, the interior of the tomb lit up. Uh, two men stood by them in shining garments. The woman became fearful. and In fact, it means they were terrified. It means they were, they were petrified in their heart. They were in a state of fear. They bowed their faces to the ground. And then the angel asked them a very strange, straightforward question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? And what followed then was the affirmation of a most wonderful truth. Listen to it in verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. And then they added something, and what they added was this. It says there in the text, Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, And this is what they said. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Isn't it significant that the angels didn't say, The body is not here? They didn't say, it is not here, but they said, he is not here, but is risen. You see, the doctrine of the resurrection is one of the best attested facts in the whole of human history. It's a public fact. It's a proclaimed fact. It's a powerful fact. See, every other world religion today is based on a so-called prophetic vision or dream, usually in some cave, after many days of so-called meditation. Only Bible-believing Christianity is built upon a public, proclaimed, powerful fact. And what is that public, proclaimed, powerful fact, young people and boys and girls? It's just as I summed it up. Two words for Easter. Christ arose. And, and that is the very heart of the Easter message. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you, Saying. Now, now, today I want to try and focus in on remembering the words of Christ regarding his resurrection. And as I thought of this, and I'm well aware I preached a message similar to this in 2014. It's not the same message, uh, let me assure you by any means. That message was called the subject and solace of the resurrection. And we're, we're, we're thinking of a slightly different um, looking at, at this uh, text today. I want you to think of four things. Remember, these were transforming words. When it says in verse 8, and they remembered his words, what sort of words were they? They were transforming words. I want you to think of the woman in the garden. How does the day begin? It's very early in the morning, the first day of the week, maybe four or five, just before dawn. And the day begins with doubt. Day begins with fear. Day begins with terror. This is a day of weeping. 
The women are full of defeat. The women are full of sadness. They're in a state of shock regarding the death of the Lord Jesus. Um, you see, in the opening verses, we're seeing life from their perspective. As they come to the garden, they're thinking of the stone. They're concerned. How are we going to get into the tomb? Can you see the woman coming, talking among themselves? Who's going to roll the stone away? How are we going to get into the tomb? They're thinking of the body. It's not the focus. If you look at verse 3, it says, And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. See, they're thinking not only of the stone, but they're thinking of the body. They've got these spices that they've made up, and they're going to anoint the body. Why? Because whenever he died on Good Friday, and died about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then a couple of hours later was the Jewish Sabbath. It started at 6 p.m. And so they had to leave off. And then the, the Jewish Sabbath ran through to um, the, the 6 p.m. the next day. And then it was dark. So, so they came then as early as they could, very early the next morning. And they had left off anointing the body as the custom of the Jews uh, would have been. They were thinking of death. They were going to the sepulcher, a graveyard. They were not thinking of resurrection. They did not expect the Lord Jesus to rise bodily. So here they are, and they're in a state of shock, defeat, sadness, full of doubt and fear, thinking of the stone, thinking of the body, thinking of death in the graveyard. And when they got there, the tomb was opened. When they got inside, they discovered the tomb was empty. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And what does verse 4 tell us? Look, it says, And it came to pass as they were much perplexed. They're really confused now. They're in a state of shock and dismay. They're, they're troubled and fearful in their minds. And then suddenly two angels appeared, and they asked him that question, Why seek ye the living among the dead? And then they announced this truth. He is not here. But is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. And you see, the tomb is empty for a reason. And it's empty for a reason. And this is the reason that they might hear the words of the Lord. And they might remember the words. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake. You see, the woman's on a journey. Literally and spiritually. And what do we learn about these women? They're brought from a position of doubt to delight. A position of fearfulness to faith. A position of from tyranny to, to trust and triumph. From a spirit of cowardice to a spirit of clarity. Does this not show the loving kindness of the Lord himself towards his people? How he bears with us his people. We're often fearful. We're often failing. Here's a day that begins with weeping and distress. And how does it end up? It ends up with witnessing. It ends up with delight. You see, these women discovered the very basis for our faith. The basis for our true assurance. The basis for a life of power and victory. And what is that? It's the words of Christ. Verse 8, think of it. And they remembered his words. His words. You know, there's help in every time of distress, woman folk. And every time of grief, there's help. And what is that help? 
What's the basis for it? Well, it's the word of Christ. It's his words. It's, it's getting back to the book. If we'd asked the question, well, what revived and renewed and rejoiced the heart of these women that were weeping that became witnesses? Here's the answer. They remembered his words. Oh, it wasn't so much seeing the angels. It wasn't so much the shock of the tomb being opened. It wasn't so much the shock of the tomb being empty. It was the announcement, the saying of the angels. What were they doing? They were repeating the words of Christ. They were recalling that to mind. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're listening to me right now and your heart is full of disbelief. Your life is full of problems. You're in personal distress and trouble of some kind. And you're thinking, how can I cope? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to overcome this? Well, here's the answer. Remember his words. Fill your heart and mind with the words of Christ. Get to the book. Get back to the book. What did these angels do? Two angelic creatures. They pointed the woman to the words of Christ. They didn't speak a heavenly language. They pointed them to the words of Christ. Let me confess something this morning. Suppose you're saying, I'm in distress, Pastor. And I am troubled today, this, this very morning. And suppose in life's journey, you in that state met an angel from heaven. And what would that angel say to you? That angel, I believe, would point you to the words of Christ. That angel would say to you, remember the victory of the tomb. He is risen. He is alive. You see, the first thing that they got was a transforming word. It brought such encouragement and comfort to their heart. They were not meant to live in fear, not meant to live in terror and tyranny and distress and doubt. They were to fill their minds with news of the victory of the tomb. Christ is alive. Christ arose. So that's the first thing I learned. That's the first thing that jumped up to me and they remembered his words. They were transforming words. Notice something else here as I thought about this passage of scripture. They remembered these were truthful words. You see, these words that the angels uttered had to do with two great essential truths. If you look with me at verse 7, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And if you examine the scriptures, you will discover there was two truths that were on the mind of Christ. His crucifixion and his resurrection. And here's two truthful words from the lips of the angels. Think of the crucifixion for a little moment. The sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus in Mount Calvary is one of the most wonderful dynamic truths of Bible-believing Christianity. How did Christ die? Here's the answer, the horrible death of crucifixion. Look at the text. Look what it says in verse 7. And be crucified. Do you know that Christ's death was unique in its planning? 
It was planned in eternity past, in the eternal covenant between the Father and Son in the council chamber of redemption. Long before the world began, long before the creation of the world, long before man was made in God's image, long before the fall and sin. How do I know that? Revelation 13 verse 8 talks about the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And over there in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says this of Christ, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. You see, the cross is not an afterthought, young people. The cross of Christ upon which he died was not a mistake. The cross of Christ and his death by crucifixion was always part of God's eternal plan. Can I tell you something else? Christ's death was unique in its pain. It mentions here the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. There's one of the musts of the Master. And I've never preached a sermon in the must of the Master, but maybe, maybe I will at some time must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Surely no one ever suffered like the Lord Jesus. Who could plumb the depths of that pain? The physicality of all that he suffered. Who could scale the heights of all that sinful, wicked hands did to Christ? You think of the buffeting and the beating. Think of the scourging till his Flesh was left like a ploughed field running red with blood. You think of the crown of thorns that was plaited and put onto his brow. You think of the, the stripping of him naked, the nailing of his hands uh, to the tree, the nailing of his feet. And when the hands of wicked men had done their worst, then the hand of a holy sovereign God took over. I want to tell you, I believe that this was intensely painful. I believe this was intensely sorrowful. The depths of his sorrow. Is it any wonder he's called the man of sorrows because of what he suffered? And he asked this question. And the question is this from Lamentations 1 and 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? You, you think of his sorrow. You see, it was unique in his pain. Can I tell you something else? The death of Christ was unique in his purpose. Why? Did he die? He had no sins of his own. He was not guilty. Is it any wonder the Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures? Over there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 it says this. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins and his own body in the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. See, the Lord Jesus did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. It ties into what Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, Christ's death at Calvary had one great purpose. And that purpose was to atone for the sins of his people. Young people, he didn't die as an example of a martyr. He didn't die to show us just the love of God theory. He just didn't die to show us how long suffering you can bear with pain. He didn't just 
die to show us a great display of self-humility. And all that is, is part and parcel of that horrible death of crucifixion. But at the heart, now I want you to understand this. This is what Good Friday really is. When Christ died in the tree, he was making an atonement for the sins of his people. And that ties in. Christ's death is unique in its perfection. Not just in its planning and pain and purpose, but unique in its perfection. You see, he was a perfect substitute. He took my place and yours. He was a perfect sacrifice. He finished the work that God the Father had given him to do. He cried from the tree. One of his cries was, out of the seven, it is finished. Not I am. It is. You see, he had voluntarily laid down his life, but he did it vicariously. It was on behalf of his people, and he did it victoriously. He was in absolute control unto the end. Even to the moment where he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, dismissing his spirit. It's not only a perfect substitute and a perfect sacrifice. Remember, it was once for all, Hebrews 10 and 12 says, But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. But it was a perfect satisfaction. See, here's the perfection of it. He satisfied the divine law. He satisfied divine holiness and justice. And how do we know that that work was accomplished? How do we know that that work was accepted? How do we know that that work was acclaimed? Here's the proof. The empty tomb. If you look again at the text, it says... And the third day rise again. You see, Christ in the tree is a great truth, but he's not on the tree now. There was a time when Christ was in the tomb, but he's not in the tomb any longer because it says here in the text, and the third day rise again. You see, he's not only a perfect substitute with a perfect sacrifice and rendered a perfect satisfaction that was acceptable to God in the empty tomb as evidence and proof that that total satisfaction was accepted. But he was a perfect savior. Rise again the third day. Death couldn't hold him. He was not subject to death. And there's the cornerstone of the Christian faith, the great doctrine of the resurrection. You see, these are truthful words. What are they about? They're about summing up the ministry of Christ. It was all to do with his crucifixion and his resurrection. Notice something else in the text. These were tested words. If you go back to the words of the angels there in verse 6, it says, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. See, the Lord Jesus often talked about his bodily resurrection from the dead. Remember he said on one occasion, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he wasn't speaking about the Jewish temple that took 46 years to build. He was speaking about his body. And you see, the amazing thing is, now listen to me carefully, young people, and some of you who are listening online, maybe at university, listen to me carefully. The amazing thing is that men today, even in the 21st century, are doing their best to discredit and deny and doubt the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? That's what they're at. Many hellish attempts are being put forward to question the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's listen to some of them. The stolen body theory. Someone stole the body out of the tomb. We'll ask, who was it, do you think? Could only be one of a few people. The disciples? 
either the religious leaders themselves or the soldiers. If it was the soldiers, whose orders did they act upon? And if it was the religious leaders, how did they do it? Why didn't they produce the body whenever the disciples were saying, he is not here, he is risen, or preaching Christ arose, Jesus is alive. We believe in the victory of the tomb. Oh, that's a lie. Here's the evidence, the body of Christ. We'll call his mother Mary. We'll call some of his closest friends. Is that not the body of Jesus? Well, then he's not alive. It's built on a lie. But they didn't produce the body, as we'll see in a wee minute. This is called the stolen body theory. And you see, if the disciples stole the body, they would have been promoting a falsehood for the rest of their lives. They would have been guilty of practicing fraud and deception. They would have died a death of martyrdom, many of them, for a lie. Is that possible? If you turn over there to Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, in verse 11, it says, Now when they were going, Matthew 28, verse 11, Behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. And you see, if I was speaking to a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jew, they would tell me, that they believe in the stolen body theory. Bodily resurrection? No. The body was stolen by the disciples. You see, it's an attempt to discredit and deny and doubt the bodily resurrection of Christ. Let me tell you another thing. Here's another attempt. The swoon theory. Oh, he just fainted on the cross. He didn't really die. He just passed out. And he went into the cold tomb and, and he revived there. But the Bible doesn't say his body revived. What does it say? Look at the text. He is not here, but is risen. It doesn't say revived. It says risen. What does that mean? It means he's risen bodily from the dead. The evidence that he was truly dead was from the centurion. Remember, he plunged the spear into his side and out came water and blood. What about the hallucination theory? The disciples were so much in shock, so were the women, that they began to see things that were not there. They were using, like Barney, their imagination. Imagination's live and well, devoid of reality. And, and, and they used that to discredit the resurrection. What about the wrong tomb theory? Oh, oh, the woman, in their confusion, went to a wrong tomb. And, and they found the tomb open, and they didn't find any body there. And then they went back and reported to the disciples. And you see, it's all various arguments that are put forward against the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, let me say this. In the 18th century, there's two skeptics, a man called Gilbert West and Lord um, Littleton. And they were determined to prove that the Bible wasn't true. And uh, they... Um, decided that they would um, question uh, two of the most important miracles of all time. 
namely the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they decided to write two books against the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and one against the resurrection of Christ. It took a year to complete. After careful study and analysation of the facts and the biblical records, the men finally finished and they met to discuss um, what they had learned. And they had a very unusual conversation. Lord Littleton, he spoke first and he said, I have a confession to make. I've studied all the evidence for the uh, story of Paul's conversion. I've weighed up all the lawful evidence. And you know what? I found it true. And I've become a believer like Paul. And I've written a book in defense of it. Uh, Gilbert West, he said to his friend, Lord Littleton, well, I have a similar confession to make. This is true, by the way. I have found the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be a proven fact. I too have become a believer. I've written a book about the indisputable facts of the resurrection. You see, I want to encourage you, young people, if you're listening online or you're here this morning, honestly examine all the facts. Weigh up all the evidence. And as you do so, you will find many infallible proofs that Jesus Christ has risen again bodily from the dead. Quickly, here are some of those infallible proofs for you. You see, we don't have a blind faith. It's not no matter what you believe. We, we have faith in historical facts. The incarnation, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the vicarious atonement, his bodily resurrection. It's faith in certain revealed facts and truths. You see, the problem today is that many love their sin. Many don't want to believe. Many, many hide behind the smokescreen of unbelief. Uh, they, they know if they believe this, confess this, there's consequences. They have to repent of their sin and get right with the Lord. Isn't it easy to deny something? Isn't it easy to doubt, to be in a state of unbelief? And yet there's manifold evidences to prove the validity of what we're saying. Let me just give them to you quickly. There's public evidence. It wasn't done in a corner. It was all open. It was very public. There's multiple witnesses, women, Two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Eleven disciples in the upper room both times. Five hundred at once, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A doubter called Thomas convinced, John 20. Thomas, remember, said, unless I see the nail prints and put my hands into his side, unless I see and handle it, I'm not going to believe. And yet the Lord Jesus revealed to him eight days later, in the same upper room, reach hither thy hand and, and, and be not faithless, but believe. What about the transformed disciples? How were they changed and transformed? Remember for fear of the Jews that were locked in the room, John 20, 19, John 20, 26, two weeks apart, hidden out of view for fear of death, frightened weaklings, full of fear, and they became fearful witnesses. What changed them? What convinced them? What turned them around so that they died as martyrs? If you actually look at the text here in the context, it says in Luke 24 and verse 11, speaking about the woman, notice, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. That's the 11 apostles. That includes Peter and John at the very start. They, they, they thought it was all a scam. It was all lies. It was idle tales. It was just a joke. And then what changed them? The risen Christ changed and transformed them. He met with them in the upper room on two occasions. Their lives were changed. The conversion of Tarsus, one born out of due time. It's remarkable he saw the risen Christ. 
It's remarkable that the risen Christ spoke to him literally and historically. And the persecutor became a preacher. His conversion became a pattern for all of the Jewish people. The Jews would be converted when they would see the risen Christ and hear him. Here's another line of evidence, the change of the day. Jews were Sabbath day worshippers. They worshipped on the seventh day. 6 p.m. to Friday to 6 p.m. on the Saturday. That was the Jewish Sabbath. But now it's the first day of the week they're meeting. John 20, 19. John 20, 26. Acts 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. They all testify, you see. The Lord's day testifies to the uh, Christ rising from the dead. It's the best attested fact in history. So, So these words are tested words. And let me finish up this morning with this thought. These words are triumphant words. We read in the verse 3 about the woman folk. And it says, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ had just experienced a bodily resurrection. And that bodily resurrection could not be denied Because there's far too many witnesses. The woman couldn't find the body. They came looking for the body. Why? Because the tomb was empty. Witness to a bodily resurrection. And I've already talked about the stolen body theory. The soldiers, the religious leaders. And what they did. And you can read the record there. Matthew 28, 11 to 15. If they had the body, why didn't they produce it? And ask the mother, is it him? And she would have had the answer, yes. See, these religious leaders didn't know how he got out of the tomb. And I can tell you it wasn't the soldiers that stole the body. The stone was rolled away in the earthquake not to let them in. Or not to let Christ out, but to let the disciples in. To see that he was very much alive. These words, of course, I believe, prove his own words true prophetically. Why was he born? He was born to die, that he might be raised again in the newness of life. They they prove his deity. The book of Romans in chapter 1 and verse 4 says this. Listen to these words in Romans 1 and verse 4. A, A tremendous statement about the Lord Jesus. It says there, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These words prove his victory. You see, there's no gospel without the resurrection. Once you destroy and discredit the resurrection, then true Bible-believing Christianity falls. But I want to ask this. Why did they not find the body? Why did they not produce the body? Here's the answer. He is alive. We're here this morning in the year 2020, 2021, in the year of our Lord. AD stands for Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And time was measured from the death and resurrection of Christ to be in the year of the Lord. And then before that was BC, before Christ. You see, men have changed it now. Now they're talking about a common era in school. That's how they measure time. Now they're talking about before the common era. You see, they hate the truth. And they think they're being clever. But it's nothing but a sign of their unbelief. It's nothing but a sign of their deep deception and depravity. 
The only explanation for the change in time is this. Jesus Christ is not in the tomb. Jesus Christ is not in the grip of death. It's a, it's a, a comforting fact, but it's a challenging fact. There, there's no such thing as the undecayed body of Christ. Because even in his death, he had authority over death. His life never ended. Even though he died physically, he was still the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, in absolute control. And his death guarantees not only his own resurrection, but, but his death guarantees the resurrection to glory of everyone that's found in Christ. So there is victory in the tomb. That there's real comfort in the cross. The real comfort is in the finished work. Because he rose again the third day from the dead in power and in glory. And if you take nothing home this morning, this Easter Sunday, take this home. And they remembered his words. What sort of words were they? They were transforming words because they changed the lives of these women from fear to faith. These words were truthful. He had already talked about his crucifixion and his resurrection. These words could be tested publicly because they're, they're true. And these words are triumphant. And I pray that we'll catch sight of these words. The triumph of the words of Christ. Thank you for coming this morning.